Uh, hello, everyone. Um, so this next session is entitled Museums and Contemporary African Art. Um, this panel seeks to explore practices in collecting, curating, and the, and the display of contemporary art of uh, African artists in American museums. Um, for this session, um, Uchukwu Smooth Nzuli will lead a discussion with Kevin Dumachel of the Brooklyn Museum, um, Karen Melbourne of the Smithsonian Muse National Museum in Washington, and Yosomi Umulo of the Reza and David Logan Center for the Arts in Chicago. Um, Smooth is a curator of African art at Dartmouth Hood Museum of Art. He holds a PhD in art history from Emory University and is the recipient of several academic fellowships, scholarships, and artist awards. Um, uh, as a practicing artist, he has exhibited widely and participated in numerous international artist residencies. Um, and his writing has appeared in NCA, uh, Kunst Forum International, and uh, World Arts and uh, African Arts. Um, uh, Kevin Dumichel has overseen the Brooklyn Museum's African and Pacific Islands collection since 2007. Uh, in 2014, he conceived and curated Double Take African Innovations, the museum's award-winning uh, temporary reinstallation of, the, of its African holdings. Uh, he has also curated exhibitions of both contemporary and historical African art, including Power Incarnate, uh, Alan Stone's collection of sculptures from the Congo in 2011. Uh, and, uh, uh, seated to uh, Kevin's right is uh, Karen, uh, who's been a curator at the National Museum of African Art, Smithsonian Institution in uh, Washington, Washington D.C. since May of 2008. Previously, she was associate curator of African Art and department head of A Arts of Africa, the Americas, Asia, and the Pacific Islands at the Baltimore Museum of Art. Um, her expertise includes the arts and, uh, pa and pageantry of Western Zambia and contemporary African arts. Um, uh, Yosomi Yosomi Umolo is an exhibitions curator at the Reza and David Logan Center for the Arts at the University of Chicago, where she holds a position as of lecturer in the Humanities Division, specializing in global contemporary art and spatial practices. Yosomi recent, Yosomi's recent exhibitions include material effects, contemporary art from West Africa and the diaspora. Uh, John Acompra, Imaginary Possessions, um, uh, which was in 2014. Um, she's held curatorial positions at the Eli and Edith Broad Art Museum at Michigan State University, the Walker Art Center, Minneapolis, Manifesta 8, and the Serpentine Galleries. Um, her writing has appeared in numerous catalogs and journals, including Art in America, After Image, and the Studio Museum in Harlem's Studio Magazine. Um, so please welcome our panelists. Thank you. Thank you so many. Thank you, Kevin. Thank you, Karen, for uh, coming. Uh, I want us to begin uh, with this question. Um, in the last few, I mean, in the last few years, uh, contemporary African arts has increasingly uh, enjoyed uh, tremendous attention at the international level. And um, without losing the fact that there's still a lot of work to be done, I wanted us to explore how this development has impacted not American institutions, broadly speaking, but also uh, your institutions uh, specifically. And I want us to begin with Somi. Um, you, you have some images to show and then walk us through uh, some of the interventions you've done in your institution. Great. Um, so I'm actually going to speak to a couple of exhibitions that I did at my previous institution mm. at the Broad Art Museum mm. um, in Michigan. Mm. And um, in this context, um, MSU actually had a long-standing um, relationship with the continent. Um, in the 1960s, um, it was in partnership with the Nigerian government to develop the University of Nsuka, and that really kind of generated a long-standing conversation um, with faculty um, and um, members of um, the um, Nigerian government and um, other scholars there as well. So they had a long-standing interest in West Africa. And so when I came, um, thinking about what sort of exhibitions I could do, it seemed pertinent to kind of reflect on this history. And through that, I started and initiated a couple of um, exhibitions. I'm just showing some images of um, Emeka Ogbo's solo show, which we did, um, which was part of actually a bigger 
conference around um, um, new media and technologies in the global south. Um, and so this was really Emeka's first presentation or first major presentation of his Lagos Soundscapes um, video um, in the museum context. And so that was a really great opportunity to kind of introduce um, a sort of emerging voice at the time. And Emeka has become um, much more well known and very visible um, to the MSU audience. And a final show which kind of rounded up my tenure at MSU was an exhibition called Material Effects Contemporary Art from West Africa, which was a um, group exhibition, not a survey exhibition, but a group exhibition of six um, contemporary African artists um, working with performance, um, sculpture, installation, thinking about the idea of the object and its status in contemporary society. Um, so the, here are just some images. Ibrahim Mohammed's work, of course, which you see down, downstairs, Jaleli Atiku, Otabong Nkanga, um, um, Zora Poku, and also Issa Samb and Bernard Akoy Jackson. Um, so I've always done this through exhibition making um, and being able to have the, the type of forum I had um, at MSU, I think, was really critical, I think. Um, and I think increasingly, at least, um, contemporary artists from the continent are um, incredibly visible in temporary exhibition form. Um, and one of the questions I continue to have is how that translates to kind of collecting strategies and collecting mandates of um, institutions, especially institutions that don't necessarily have a historical kind of African art department. Um, so that's a question I think um, as um, contemporary artists become much more visible, how do we integrate the collection of their work into um, larger institutions. Um, so I think I'm going to stop there. There are a few images that are going to roll through. And MSU, these are some images of um, Jaleli doing a performance um, um, with us in the galleries. And MSU actually has a collection of African objects, um, a very peculiar collection of objects that were primarily collected um, by faculty when they traveled to the continent, probably on field research and et cetera, and et cetera. And as part of this exhibition, we actually displayed, there will be an image at the end coming up. We, it displayed some of those um, some of those objects. I had a very problematic connection to them because these objects, I think, are kind of largely tourist objects. They were um, ill-catalogued, and the history behind them, um, to me, seemed a little tenuous, at least. Um, but this was an opportunity to rethink, especially as the show was about the object and what that means, its value, how it changes over time. It was an opportunity to rethink the, the collection itself. And something that we did as part of that was actually to to not just display the objects in um, collection cases, but actually to um, display them alongside um, documentation of the acquisitions of the objects to sort of reveal the problematics around collecting art from Africa at a particular time period at least, um, a time period that I think was very much um, you know, um, dictated by this idea of um, maybe research-based work or kind of works that come through into collections through tourism and to, through gifting um, and a, a slightly different relationship to um, 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 provenance um, of these works as well. Um, so that was also a different layer to start thinking about what does it mean to collect um, contemporary art from Africa and also what to do with these, um, these objects which seem somewhat um, far removed from the, I guess, um, types of media, um, the ways of working, but also the narratives that contemporary artists are kind of working in right now. Um, I have a bunch of images. I apologize. I should have been much more <laughs> succinct in my, in, in my discussion. But this is a performance by um, um, Bernard Akoy Jackson, who's really interested, actually, in what African identity is and kind of thinking about the idea of a hybrid African identity and playing, playing up to particular stereotypes. Um, so this is an installation. Um, uh, performance that he did in the gallery. And the last image, I believe, is going to be the um, image of the collection display, um, which we had. It was actually an iPad app that we produced um, where you could kind of file through the kind of acquisition records of these objects. Um, so I will stop there. So yeah, well, I mean, we, uh, we'll return to our critical exhibition making, which is really what uh, your, your project at uh, MSU is about. Um, but before we do that, I want, I want Kevin to uh, um, talk about uh, how the Brooklyn Museum has also grappled with the institutional shifts in terms of the representation of contemporary African arts, given that you have 
a long-standing historical uh, collection as opposed to the MSU, for example. Yes, thank you. Um, Suzanne? Oh, great. Thank you, Smith, and thank you for organizing the panel. Um, yes, the Berkeley Museum is, has one of the oldest, largest, and finest collections of African art actually in the United States. Um, in an art museum, at least. Um, and so, you know, when I really took, took over the collection about a, de a decade ago, um, it, my thinking was, was geared towards certainly presenting that in, a, in its own best light, but also trying to think a little bit more critically about the stories that that collection tells to our visitors today and the, vi the, the perception of Africa that comes from our galleries. Um, I'm, I'm thankfully standing on uh, and part of a, an institution that has a history of beginning to think about this, this issue prior even to my, my arrival. Um, and we'll see a couple of early slides um, coming forward, hopefully, um, that, talk, that established that there was the beginning of a tradition of um, doing monographic exhibitions of uh, artists of African descent at Brooklyn um, for actually over a decade, uh, Gada Amer, Yinka um, Shodabari, MBE, into 2008, um, but in 2011, I had the opportunity, um, because of some construction within the building, to move the African galleries and to think about the way that we presented that, those stories with our collection. Um, we're still in Yinka's work here. Um, this is the, the way the galleries looked when I, when I arrived at the museum. And my, my concern, it was a, a very traditional sort of presentation of the collection um, as a sort of cultural and geographic tour of the continent. And my concern was that for visitors with limited background in Africa, that it'd be very easy to walk into those galleries and think that African art has always looked as it does there and that it continues to look like that. Um, and we know, of course, that that's not the case. Um, so in 2011, we reinstalled the collection in an installation called African Innovations, which was the first time that we really attempted to do a chronological uh, presentation of our collection in a very broad sort of uh, sweep, uh, beginning with medieval and ancient work, as we see here, um, and focusing and actually uh, making it clear that the heart of our collection um, while, while having some fantastic sort of uh, connections and parallels across the building uh, with our Egyptian collections in particular, um, the heart of our collection was in the, from the 19th and 20th century and from our colonial context, and we wanted to foreground that um, history as well in our presentation of the collection, um, while also moving away from a purely sort of anthropological or ethnographic presentation and thinking about these materials as um, intellectual sort of objects, objects through which artists are struggling to solve problems. And so it was the first time that we were actually able to present a dedicated presentation of contemporary African art in its own right. And these were um, acquisitions that I had made for the museum in my first years um, at Brooklyn. Um, that allowed me, um, that, that sort of focus on African art, any sort of intellectual content of African art, actually offered a really great segue into then the presentation that we offered in 2013, uh, which we will see in a moment, of uh, the first monographic exhibition of Elanatsui in New York, uh, Gravity and Grace, Monumental Works by Elanatsui. Um, and this was an exhibition in which Elanatsu is very much framed as a global contemporary artist on his own terms. His, his own sort of subjectivity as an artist was really foregrounded, but because we were talking about African art as, as having intellectual content, there were links that I could make between El's uh, conceptual and performative practice and the practice of the artists represented by our collection. Um, the uh, construction continues within the museum, and we had to move again in 2014. And rather than reinstall African innovations um, in a sort of lesser version, I decided to invert the paradigm. And what we see now is a double take, uh, the current presentation, where instead of doing a chronological hang of the collection, we are basically mashing up historical and contemporary works across uh, time and space and using the intellectual links between contemporary practice and historical practice as the way, um, as the way forward, as the way to think about that, that material. And it was a, a gesture, I hope, as much that um, makes this historical material perhaps a little bit more accessible, a little bit more relatable to visitors, um, and frankly, just more, more, more interesting for visitors who perhaps are more attuned to and comfortable with thinking about and looking at contemporary, contemporary art. 
Uh, and this then offered a great segue into the um, exhibition that we are currently showing, um, opened last week, Disguise, Mass and Global African Art, um, which looks at the history of African masquerade as a source of creative um, inspiration for um, living artists, um, both on and off the continent. And we find, through the presentation here at Brooklyn, uh, conversations happening between um, traditional forms of African masquerade and contemporary practice. And there are a few more slides from Disguise, but I will leave it at that. Thank you, Kevin. And so, Karen, uh, the Smithsonian is really uh, the Smithsonian Museum of African Art is the only mu museum, I think, in the U.S. dedicated to just African art, you know? So, uh, so yeah, am, I, am I right? There are other smaller museums, but yes, we're the only large, visible, dedicated to African, African art, art museum, and yeah. our history is quite different, different from yeah. um, my colleagues here. Yeah. Um, we actually have been actively collecting what gets called modern and contemporary African art for 50 years. Mm. So our first acquisition was in 1966 mm. of work by Ibrahim um, El Salahi. And our collection ranges from 11th century masterpieces mm. to contemporary commissions mm. such as mm. this work that's currently on view by Emeka Ogbo, who um, Somi has also worked with. And so this is a new piece that he created, especially for for us in the museum, a 28-channel um, sound art piece. And so um, I do hope everybody comes down to DC to see it. And, and um, uh, maybe we can have the, the next slide, and I'll talk a little bit about other things that we've done. Since this is a museum where we have roughly 12,000 works of art, and we actively do try to collect across genres and time periods, and create different kinds of conversations. And I think that's really one of the things that's the most strikingly different is that rather than trying to fit within an encyclopedic museum mm. or a global contemporary space, mm. we are trying to show the complexity and um, splendor mm. of, of the range of African arts. And so, oops, actually I wanted to go back. So one of the things that, um, you know, we've done is, you know, again, these were commissioned, well, a combination of commissioned and extant works of art by the South African artist Sandili Zulu, um, looking at the creative process and how artists create new works of art um, in a call and response with one another, if you will. And so we placed Sandili Zulu in conversation with Enrique Oliveira of Brazil just because of how they were working with materials, created sort of really interesting responses in each of them. And so what you have on the on the back wall there are older works by Henrique, but then the two works to the left are works that he actually created after encountering Sandili's work. And then Sandili's work in turn was very much responding to the materials and the styles of, of um, Henrique. So the first time he worked with the same kind of wood as Henrique as you see in the um, spinal diagnosis, which is the little inset there. So. Um, that to us was was quite exciting to also have this opportunity to show Africa's communication sort of in a broader context. And then the next slide. Um, so much as Kevin has mentioned, you know, part of what we try to do is, is I would really say change the conversations about how we talk about African art and artists, not simply the artists who are in practice today, but so often we have historic objects where they fall into this timeless category of the traditional when that's not the case. So we try to cite them in historically specific moments and place that conversation in dialogue with other art forms. So this was an exhibition that I did that just finished traveling a couple months ago called Earth Matters, and the works of art were very specifically dated from the year 1800 to the present day, and all were artworks that dealt with the land and the issues surrounding land um, as both a material and a concept in the artwork. So you can see a range of artists. Um, we had more than 44 named artists from 25 different countries. And then the next slide will show that it also included the first installation of land art on the National Mall. So we commissioned um, four artworks in the gardens, including Gada Mer's Hunger. And there you see Gada when it was first installed. And it was just this very stark, hungry looking landscape, but then she planted rice. And it was really quite interesting that as the rice grew, the literally the grass started to fall over and hunger disappeared. Um, and then on the top left is Elena Tsui's Allah. And then I think there's one last slide. 
Um, and this shows just one of our permanent collection spaces. Again, we have five galleries that are constantly changing in combinations of solo exhibitions, media-based exhibitions, permanent collection exhibitions, a wide range. Um, but I, I wanted to pick this particular slide on the left because you can see the masquerade, the Epa mask by the artist Bangboye, which is from the 1950s. And right next to it is a painting by Gerard Sokoto, also from the 1950s. And so part of the effort in doing this is trying to, and right now it's actually shifted so that we have been a Wonwu in dialogue with the Bangboye to try and think about what was happening in that space at that time so that in southern Nigeria, these two artists were both operating, known to their patrons, and yet they get separated into totally different conversations. And so part of what we try to think through is not in any way to take away from a conversation about global contemporary African art, but to rethink sort of how we talk about African art more broadly. That's quite interesting. Um, so there's really, um, I mean, looking at the different uh, exhibitions and uh, reinstallations, uh, you get a sense that uh, there's been an attempt to shift the the understanding of uh, the understandings around African art um, on the part of curators and part of the institutions. But uh, I mean, this is a con this is a Western context where the understanding of Africa is uh, has been. Uh, mediated in set ways uh, over time, even in the museum. And so I wonder how uh, your audiences, your various audiences, have responded to some of this, uh, the, the changes that has been done, uh, that have been done in the museum by the, by the curators. What, what has their responses been to some of these exhibitions? And, um, and how has that, I mean, if you, if you want to uh, gauge your responses in the different exhibitions, how can one understand the different responses to the different exhibitions? I mean, you, yeah. okay. um, I, I mean, generally, I have to say, I, I found the responses to be quite interesting and quite quite engaged. Um, I think we are we're trying to, to lead to lead a charge, certainly to, to change a conversation. But in many ways, the the practice that I'm engaged with is just sort of meeting our visitors where they already are and where their expectations and understandings oh. of Africa are. Mm -hmm. um, I think they're, they're, the the idea, in particular, of African innovations was um, was kind of like throwing open some windows, frankly, mm -hmm. at the museum mm -hmm. um, to be basically just finally sort of acknowledge that mm -hmm. Africa was a place of great creativity and and mm -hmm. a place where art making continues. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think I, I, it's it's a little too soon to tell with the, the newest installation and with disguise being only a week open. I'm still <laughs> very much, um, you know, collecting early early feedback. Mm. But even but even in disguise, I really have tried to make that question of the museum context mm. part of the sort of critical ways in which you in which the visitors enter that the oh. space. Oh. Um, we actually have the first room of the gallery is a very classical sort of tribal art quote unquote gallery mm. where we focus on the fact that masks and museum contents are artifacts. Mm. Um, and it's only through the actual, the contemporary practice of the artists who follow that they, we actually bring the idea of agency and performativity back mm. to that material. Mm. Um, the early response is, is strong. I'm, I'm curious mm. to have more conversations with visitors in the coming months. Mm. So, well, I would say in the MSU context, I mean, this is a university gallery that was in, that is in Lansing, Michigan, which is quite a small and specific part of the country. Um, but having said that, given the history of the relationship between the continent and the university, there was kind of an embedded audience for the type of exhibitions that I was doing there. And I think also given that the fact that the museum has the sort of like global mandate, like many other kind of institutions um, around the country, um, the idea is to kind of introduce audiences um, to kind of the global contemporary um, and to introduce them to practices that may or may not be kind of um, familiar with them from the outset. Um, so I always feel that in the context of these exhibitions that I did at the Broad, at least it felt to me that they found a very kind of um, um, welcoming context for, for the artists and for the works. Um, I always question whether or not if there wasn't that sort of specific relationship, that kind of um, interesting kind of um, African practices at MSU and if these projects would be um, I mean um, projected into other types of spaces what the reception would be and I'm kind of interested from your points of view 
if you weren't working in encyclopedic museums that have this history to um, African collections, what does a contemporary African art exhibition look like in maybe a more kind of Kunsthalle type space, you know, um, that doesn't have that specific connection? Um, I, that's just a question to throw out in the air. I mean, it's... It my own personal background is that I have worked in university museums and a state encyclopedic museum before coming to a museum that was dedicated to all Africa all the time. And it is very, very different. The thing that I like about the Smithsonian is that because the Smithsonian includes a natural history museum, an air and space museum, I can also work to have African art be part of those conversations and, in fact, have done installations at the U.S. Botanic Gardens at the... Uh, Air and Space Museum and the Natural History Museum. Um, so for me, sort of, if, if, if you will, that that um, that guerrilla tactic has been quite appealing to be able to place African art in new kinds of locations and conversations. Within our galleries, however, you know, we we get everything from Japanese, anyone from Japanese tourists to locally disadvantaged school children, expatriates, you know, former ambassadors. Mm -hmm presidents of African nations. So we have a very diverse audience. And I would say that that's often been, to me, the greatest challenge is that we can't anticipate that we're going to have um, a well-educated audience. And we can't anticipate that we're, even though we're all dedicated to African art, that our audience is going to have any knowledge of Africa whatsoever. So how do you allow for something that's meaningful and maybe opens people's eyes to seeing these conversations, to seeing their expectations of African art not met. Um, how do you do that? You know, like with the Earth Matters exhibition, um, it was accompanied by a 300-page book in which I very consciously never used the word traditional, and I even explained that I wasn't going to do that. But that doesn't mean that when somebody comes into an exhibition, they don't still see things that way because that's how they've come to understand African spaces. And, and, for, and for you, Kevin, I mean, your, your, your institution, um, African art has to uh, engage with other um, areas. And, and so I wonder how, uh, I mean, how the value system in your institution uh, works in relation to African art, in relation to uh, the other areas um, of collecting. Um, yes. Well, I mean, the the great thing in, in a way about being part of an encyclopedic museum, mm -hmm. and particularly one like mm -hmm. Brooklyn, where w the the curatorial boundaries mm -hmm. between various disciplines are not terribly distinct, mm -hmm. is that it is it is a collaborative <coughs> process and, and definitely a conversation, um, particularly around acquisitions. You know, whenever I'm making a contemporary acquisition, it's always a conversation that I'm engaged with multiple curators of mm -hmm. contemporary art, actually, as well as curators of feminist art. We have a dedicated mm -hmm. center for feminist art, mm -hmm. which, which allows both for multiple eyes, multiple mm -hmm. sort of viewpoints mm -hmm. to be looking um, in that direction mm -hmm. um, and allows me to have a more fruitful conversation, mm -hmm. um, though, it, though it, it, the responsibility for maintaining a focus on Africa and African practice is mm -hmm. pr primarily the, the, the role that I take upon mm -hmm. for myself. Mm -hmm. Um, but in terms of the way, the way that that plays out in installations, you know, it means that I, I have the freedom to, to borrow works from the Egyptian and classical collection, for example, mm. and to show that Egypt is naturally part of, I mean, Africa, if we're mm. talking about African art as mm. its own sort of construct in the West, in the Western yeah. Museum context, yeah. then we should at least include that material as mm. well. Um, and I, I think, I think that, yeah, there's a, there's a certain sort of porosity, actually, mm. to, to this institution that I appreciate. Mm. That's Oh, I was just going to respond to your comment a bit about the, the Kunsthalle effect. I mean, I've noticed with a lot of exhibitions in Europe, they'll do a big African show, say ours, 11, um, mm. in Helsinki, and all of the artists come in, and they're spectacular shows that show some of the best art, and they bring the artists there, and the artists are a part of the conversation, and it's wonderful, but it's because that's their Africa thing. They do their one Africa project, and then they move on, mm. And I think that that's what's interesting mm. in each in of our three context, institutions yeah. is how do you maintain it? Mm. How do you do something that's meaningful if you can't have it be that spectacular every mm. time? Mm. 
maybe just something I was just thinking about in relation to making the show about um, the group exhibition that I made. Mm. Another thing to think about in terms of expectations, um, I am of the diaspora, um, and I claim um, my Africanness, but I also claim my Britishness, and maybe at some point I'll claim Americanness um, if they'll have if they'll have me. Uh, um, so I'm I'm of the diaspora, um, and I'm also a contemporary art curator, and so my there are limits to my knowledge about kind of um, traditional African art history. Mm. So it was really important for me in the naming of the show and the presentation of the work mm. um, to understand that given, not, not necessarily just as a consequence of my background, but a lot of these artists that I'm working with, they are of the diaspora too. And so that was, it was super important to have the show not just named contemporary African art, because that to me seems, um, might potentially fall into kind of um, pitfalls about locating specifically on the continent, um, but to kind of extend it to the diaspora as well. Um, and I think that's something to do with expectations, right? And where the contemporary is in relation to the traditional and where the diaspora is in relation to kind of um, on the continent itself. Which leads me to the, to, to the next question. Um, so our... Uh, you, you, you describe African art as a construct. I mean, a construct in the sense it allows uh, easy consumption or easy access. And, and so I wonder, given your own experience, if uh, the construct in itself st still stands, um, I mean, is it still very relevant? Or do we, as museum curators, rethink that construct or rethink um, uh, ways of uh, conceiving of exhibitions around contemporary artists but of African uh, descent, you know? Is there a new language, is there a new vocabulary that we can come up with that can capture the work, that will focus more on the work rather than on the identity of the artists, you know? <laughs> um, I think that's a difficult question. And I think depending on where you are positioned, you mm. would answer it differently. Mm. Um, another thing to note is that the show was titled Contemporary Art um, from West Africa. So mm. it wasn't African art as mm. a sort of like totalizing term. Mm. Um, and it was also important for me to kind of specify a location and not to think that the show would kind of um, represent the whole of production mm. from the continent. Mm. So it was kind of quite a specific move for me me at least to concentrate on West Africa mm. and on three different countries mm. and to work with artists in that context. Mm. I think the, um, I think what might be possible these days are just different layers of defining and naming mm. um, so that we can introduce different terms into the conversation, mm. which doesn't mean that African art is superseded, mm. it's just placed in proximity to um, different, you know, cat forms of categorizing in some mm. ways, right? Mm. Which reflect, I think, the kind of diversity of perspective mm. and also diversity of interaction mm. um, in terms of people who are invested in um, artistic production from the continent, you know? It comes from both inside and outside, mm. and it's kind of, for, to me at least, I subscribe to the idea of kind of hybridization and cosmopolitanism, mm. and I think to reflect that in the forms of naming um, is, is super important. I don't know how you guys feel about that. Mm. Well, yeah, I, I think that I think that's absolutely right. And I think, you know, there's there it's an evolving conversation mm. and, and I don't think that we've exactly figured out mm. what that that practice looks like mm. and how to sort of really really fully represent the richness and complexity mm. of that 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 identity mm. which is not I mean African alone just does not mm. sum up the, the identity mm. or subjectivity of any of the artists that I work mm. with. Mm. Um, so disguise, you know, masked and global African mm. art is in, in a way our, you know, our, our attempt to sort of um, mark where we are in the conversation currently. Mm. Um, you know, this, the, and this is a, an exhibition that presents work of artists both living on the continent, um, artists in the diaspora, mm. artists in the Caribbean, artists of African-American descent. Mm. It really sort of pushes the bounds of, mm. of what Africa has been represented to be in the museum mm. in a way that is, frankly, almost beyond the, the comfort and expectations of mm. what we even um, have typically been doing in the past. Mm. Um, but at the same time, you know, I'm, I have a collection, I have a, a very deep mm. historical collection mm. that, is, that is grounded in those terms. Mm. And so when I, present, when I present that collection, I always want to be thinking about ways to make, make the, the framing mm. of, of the way the, of, that we present that work um, apparent to mm. our visitors and make that part of the conversation mm. as well. Mm. Karen? 
Well, it's a funny thing. Often when I start a tour at the museum, the way that I will actually begin it is to say that I don't see my job as knowing who or what Africa is. I'm there to try and pose questions in a way that allow people to mm. see the complexities. Mm. And I think that that's where we are, that, mm. that the nomenclature mm. is incredibly significant, that we need to identify all artists mm. as artists, that mm. we need to set them within their time period and give a specificity to everything as best mm. we can. Mm. But that one of the, the, the greatest gifts that we as curators can give is, is um, an openness to, to the fact that these are questions, mm. that what we are doing is presenting a conversation that we want a broader public to engage in. Um. So taking the, uh, the, the conversation in a different direction, um, I mean, the traditionally, um, in the past, you would think of the curator as the arbiter of taste, you know, mm. um, not only um, sort of a, the person who determines how the market responds to to our to to art, for example, uh, but we're increasingly in a moment where the market drives uh, the um, uh, drives the, the the interest, and and so I and, and of course the you see the curator playing a sort of a, a catch-up uh, role, a belated role in terms of collecting practice in the museums, and I and I wonder how um, how. What do you think about, about the, the current metrics of, 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 of the market in relation to, the, to where the museum locates itself um, uh, currently? <laughs> You've been at this longer than I have. <laughs> Again, it's an interesting theme. In the, you know, in the case of my museum, mm. my museum is only 52 years, and 50 of those mm. years have been spent collecting the, what would now be considered sort of the, the full spectrum of African art. Mm. Um, but that being said, for me, the market doesn't seem to drive what's happening, at least in my own museum. It may, it, I'm definitely seeing it, you know, MoMA is currently at Art and just held mm -hmm. a dinner last night. Mm -hmm. The Guggenheim was mm -hmm. at mm -hmm. Art. I mean, these are new phenomena mm -hmm. in terms of who is showing up at the table. Mm -hmm. But I don't think it's so much the market that's driving what museums are trying to collect as reflecting the fact that the quality is there and they have to play catch up and so mm -hmm. they are catching up and the market is making it easier. So there are now more biennials, there are now more art fairs in addition to 154, mm -hmm. also known as Africa is about to open up, the Armory had its African focus. So the access to it is easier because while people may still, you know, jokingly say Africa is a country or whatever, mm. if you are trying to realistically gain insight into the arts mm. of Africa, it is really difficult to hit all 55 countries mm. and understand what's happening in those art scenes. And mm. so these market spaces are making it possible for people to gain a broader access. Mm. The thing that you have to be careful about is not trusting the market as the arbiter of taste, but just as an excellent place to kind of do your networking to say, okay, you're here, you're from Kinshasa or Antananarivo um, or wherever. <laughs> Can you introduce me to the artists you think I ought to know mm. so that it becomes a point of access mm to get a better sense of the picture, but it's not seen as sort of the destination, if you will. Okay. Yeah. Oh. Well, yes, and I, I think, I mean, in terms of, I think that's exactly right. And, and from, from our point of view, you know, we're, we're very much playing catch up in, in terms of our collecting and presenting both modern and contemporary African art. Um, we've really only been collecting in a dedicated way, I'd say really for less than a decade. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, when I, when I arrived, we had one uh, contemporary piece of African art in the galleries, a wow. beautiful vessel by Madeleine Adindo from 1990, but that was it. Um, so there's, there's, there's been a, a lot of, a lot of ter territory to catch up and we have a long ways to go, mm -hmm. but the activity and the interest in the market mm -hmm. means that I'm having to have to make less of a sales pitch in a way mm -hmm. to our trustees and to our, to our leadership of the museum mm -hmm. for the importance of this material. You know, we've had, I know we've had multiple trustees come through here even in the last few days, uh, which makes my job a little bit easier when I, I want to pitch an artist um, to, to, the, to, the, uh, to the board. Um, so to, to that extent, it's, it's a welcome, a welcome move, but, but as Karen says, we're, we're doing our best really not to let the, the particular sort of uh, vagaries of the market drive mm. the taste. Sorry. 
I don't know. I think I'm just thinking from the perspective of the artists. I think that the kind of exposure around contemporary African art um, can only be a good thing. Um, and I think that also these activities have been happening regardless of the attention on them. And they will continue to happen regardless of the attention on them. Um, so I say, I think it's really interesting. And in some ways, it's also kind of a very open um, space of possibility, right? Because they aren't many precedents, right? You're just starting to like build a major collection of contemporary African art, right? Which means that I think there's potentially more points of access for different types of artists um, and different types of producers to kind of enter into that conversation, right? Um, so I think just thinking specifically from the artist's point of view, and I know I work with a lot of young um, contemporary artists, um, I think that it can only be a good thing that their work is being furthered um, through these different um, kind of intersection points. I think the question of where the marketplace lies, I think, continues to be the case. If everyone has to come to New York, um, there is um, Joburg Art Fair and other fairs on the continent. What I would really love to see is a diversification of the marketplaces um, that will actually kind of um, affect and influence the context in which the artists are actually working, whether it be Lagos or Addis Ababa or you know Harare. Um, so I think that would be a really interesting interesting and exciting innovation if on the continent we have a proliferation of art fairs, mm. potentially maybe the Armory would have a satellite art fair <laughs> in Joburg, right? Is that a possibility? <laughs> Which means that they see that it's not just about kind of transporting and importing, um, you know, Africa in, but mm. they are collectors and there is kind of um, a, a marketplace for those, um, um, for those fairs on the continent. I think that would be a really exciting thing to happen. I'd like to actually tag team on that because I think that that's absolutely mm. the most exciting mm. and, and interesting space moving forward because you do have artists like um, Bright Eke who wanted to go back to Lagos and even though Lagos has an exciting or it has a, a genuine art scene with its own auction house and, and exhibition spaces, he couldn't because he had left, he couldn't repat, which I know is one of your topics. Mm. Yesterday, it's not equally possible in all spaces. Mm. And that ability to go back and, and, and be where one wants to be mm. and still have access to the external world is, is developing. And I think that's the frontier more than the, these fairs. I mean, these fairs are driving an external market, but they're not necessarily providing the creative spaces that are in the places that everybody wants them. I want to pick on something you said about um, the the word of mouth mm -hmm. as, as a curatorial form. You know, so you go to a space, you meet say, someone from Antonana River, and say, "Can you introduce me to to artists from that space?" Um, now the question is, um, what? So what? I mean, how do you arrive? How do how the curators arrive at who to collect? I mean, because it returns the question to the market. How do you arrive at? I mean, so I give you a list of certain artists, you know. How do you now make a decision on who to collect, knowing that um, museums, I, I mean, museums, because they, they in, in, the, in, in the moment, they, they collect works they think will add value to the collection. And the market, uh, with its publicity machine, drives attention on the artists, you know. And so how do you then when you, when you get to know this, then artists um, make that curatorial decision of who to collect and who not to collect outside of the ambit of the market. Well, one of the important things to bear in mind is that while all museums actively collect, you can mm -hmm. also have exhibitions and publications of artists whose work you haven't brought into the collection. And that's very important mm -hmm. to maintain because that is sometimes one of the most interesting ways mm -hmm. to showcase the diverse conversations that artworks can have. Mm -hmm. In terms of what goes into the collection, I think it's driven less by market value because once it's in the collection, you own it whether it's valuable or not. But what it does is serve the conversations that you're trying to make. So if 
there is a, a weakness within the collection and photography, then there may become a short-term emphasis on collecting photographic arts to round out that gap. Or, you know, if you have a strength in artworks from um, Ecole de Beaux-Arts in Senegal, but you're missing one major artist, you're gonna go after that particular artist. So I think collecting strategies have a lot to do with happenstance, who have been your collectors over time, who did your predecessors have access to, and then you start building collections based on what you think is needed to fill in the gaps and, and build to the strengths. And that's not always the same thing as who are the hottest artists out there and the artists you most want to support. And so, you know, in, in, in my case, which is just one particular case, you know, I also work very actively with artist residency programs because sometimes I might not be able to buy the artist's work, but it doesn't mean I don't want to support them. So trying to get artists into those kinds of programs, trying to publish about artists' work, whether it's through my museum or an external publication, trying to have exhibitions of different types of formats, be it a large thematic exhibition, which is really driven more by the curator than it is the artwork, and then other exhibitions that are driven more by the artists and seeing a broader spectrum of their works. You have to have all of that. And so we need as many people as possible working in sort of all of these avenues. But I don't see it necessarily as market-driven, and that's the difference between museums and collectors, as collectors are buying to the market, whereas museums are buying to history. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I think also that, that I think that would be the key question to think about the new institutions that are started on this kind of investment in contemporary Africa, if it is being led by a very rigorous and long-term collecting strategy, or if it is a short-term stopgap, you know? And I think you see a lot of these programs in a lot of the large museums where they focus in a particular geographic area for three or four years to kind of fill things out, maybe kind of look back to the 60s and 70s and collect some contemporary, mm. but then what happens after those initiatives I think is still a big, is really a, a really big question for I think the Tates of the world, the Guggenheims of the world. I'm convinced the next Guggenheim map project is gonna be Africa. Yeah. I'm just convinced. They just, the, the um, Middle East is just, they just opened their show, yeah. right? Um, so I think that's the key thing if it is being led by a, a collection strategy. So I mean, the, the other question for, for Kevin really is, um, I mean, it's it's a sort of connected to what I what I, I mean my previous question. But um, so you have the uh, double take, and um, it was an opportunity to revisit the the uh, the collection, and uh, perhaps get some stuff out of storage, you know. Um, and so again, the question about collecting, uh, where um, you collect to fill gaps, but not necessarily to show. Uh, is something I want us to sort of to, to to unpack. You know, you might collect because you want to, like you mentioned, you, uh, there's a gap in the 70s. So even when you collect the 70s, how do you determine who you collect in the 70s? It's, 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 uh, it's, it's another question. Uh, how do you determine who's uh, at historically, historically relevant um, or whose work complements uh, another work in the collection. This is some of the, I think, some of the tensions that, that, uh, that come up in curatorial practice in the museum context. And, and so I wonder how uh, you dealt with um, the storage practice, so to say, <laughs> in your re reinstall. Well, I mean, frankly, in terms of contemporary art, mm. it, we, I, 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 almost everything that we have on the walls is, <laughs> is more or less what's in the collection, mm. barring barn a few and recent examples. Mm. Um, and and for me, it was very 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 much trying to map out a very very broad strategy strategy at first mm. of being able to represent just from the beginning of the conversation mm. variety of media, mm. variety of, of artistic backgrounds, a variety mm. of, of nationalities mm. um, within the story, and mm. then particularly to, to highlight um, contemporary works that have in some ways a connection that mm. we could make explicitly or implicitly with work in our in our existing collection. Mm. Um, and I think that is that is going to be the way that we move forward is, mm. you know, we certainly want to map out a strategy. Mm. We're thinking about the 50, 100 years that we've sort of missed. Mm. Um, but but we still want to also make sure that we're rooting it within our collection, that, that the way that we present and think about our collection is holistic, 
going forward. Um, I, I think one of the interesting models that I've actually seen some of my other colleagues in the museum undertake in the last four or five years is actually in the American art department. You know, we, um, like many encyclopedic museums, basically sort of missed collecting African-American art mm -hmm. for the better half, for the f of the, at least the first half of the mm -hmm. 20th century. Mm -hmm. um, and our American, my American art colleagues have created a, a fund um, mm -hmm. that is dedicated to collecting the art of African-American artists mm -hmm. prior to 1945 mm -hmm. to fill in that gap. And mm -hmm. I think that might be another sort of interesting model that we think of going forward, mm -hmm. but one that is not, as you say, not like these 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 Gutenheim and Tate sort of mm -hmm. projects, mm -hmm. limited to a, a brief period, but mm -hmm. is instead integrated into a larger long-term collection plan. Mm -hmm. The Smithsonian also has an initiative right now where we're actually, to a degree, trying to take ourselves out of the equation, and mm. it's looking at women artists in the history of modern and contemporary African art, mm. because so many are not known, mm. but we're not trying to collect them all or buy them all because that's not possible. possible. But, you know, I was in a meeting earlier this week with the IFA Gallery in Berlin, mm. and um, you know, a colleague at Witz in, in Johannesburg, and what we're trying to do is actually think of how to create a website that then becomes sort of the meeting place where folks can put their information so that we know about one another, mm -hmm. and that kind of information is shared. So mm -hmm. I think there are other kinds of museum models where it's no longer, if you will, collections focused, mm -hmm. so much as information sharing focused. Mm -hmm. And I think that that is something that we are very much trying to do, because part of it is, you know, with your own project, Smooth, which you should talk about feedback, um, you know, there are gaps, you know, sometimes for seminal decades like the 1980s where that wasn't the focus on the time for collectors or, you know, these broader perspectives. So how do you fill in that kind of knowledge? And, and nobody's going to be able to do all of it. So how can we figure out these ways to link? Thank you. I, I want to throw it open. <laughs> Can you, can you tell us who you are? Yeah. Okay, my name is Christian Surgebul, and uh, we are trying out of London and uh, Cape Town to bring young African artists to whoever is interested. My question is relating to um, uh, university museums and non-university museums. We, we are less family in Europe, where I'm from, um, with uh, what is a university museum. So what is the difference between the university and non-university museum? And this has this an impact on the way uh, their collections are, are built up. Thank you. You're trying to put me on the spot? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, I mean, what drives what we collect? I mean, what drives uh, um, what uh, university museums collect? In addition to what drives other institutions, is um, uh, objects or works that can be used for teaching purposes. You know, I mean, what we do at Dartmouth is to talk about experiential learning, uh, object-based learning. You know, and so when we collect, we're interested in works that we can use to. Uh, our faculty can use to teach uh, co uh, current issues. So for example, we have uh, a good body of work that deal, uh, on photography that deal with uh, social photography or social activis uh, activism. Uh, we have uh, a body of, of, of uh, photographs that deal with um, ecology and the question of the uh, um, climate change and all that. And so some of these ideas are what uh, drive uh, our collecting practice because it's very important that um, that uh, our faculty uh, will be able to use um, the objects to teach. But having said that, we're also interested in, uh, I mean, my institution has an encyclopedic uh, museum. Um, I think it's much, it's older than you know, the, of the museums, uh, your museums, uh, Dartmouth's uh, museum, because it started off as a, a museum of natural history and then went through the whole evolution to becoming a museum of, um, of, 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 of art, you know, and so we, we, we bear that in mind. We, we, we want to, our, our, our collection to reflect um, art history, uh, but also uh, to be able to allow our faculty to do what they, to do what they know how to do best. Yeah. I think it varies across um, different Institute. institutions. Um, some institutions take that sort of encyclopedic um, mandate mm. to heart in that it ha they have to have representation from 
different periods um, in their collections, in particular in terms of thinking about scholarship, art historical scholarship. And some institutions, maybe something like the NASHA um, at Duke, um, which has a very specific or has increasingly in the last five years or so started to focus much more on um, African-American art and collecting in that area. I think it just varies um, um, per institution, per kind of um, budget, and also investment of um, faculty in different areas of study. Um, so I would say that it really, it just really depends where you are in the country. It, I mean, there, there are certain universities where they have very important historic collections, like Emory University. There are other universities where they're not really actively collecting at all, like the Wellen at Hamilton College, but they have an active contemporary display pr um, practice. But I think the main difference is really in terms of what the exhibitions become at the different institutions. When you're dealing with an, a, a huge public institution like the Brooklyn Museum or the Smithsonian, you have to write a label that can be read by anyone. And when you're at a university museum, you can get into edgier political kinds of conversations that and, and write to a much deeper level um, because you're using it within a university context. And so that tends to be really the, the shift is in terms of what the nature of the exhibitions are, because what the collection is going to be is going to be driven by the resources and the history of the alums from that particular institution. Thank you. Um, my name is Fungai, um, and my question is around um, something you raised about meeting visitors where their understanding of Africa is. And as I thought through what that looked like, um, I thought about the media's influence and in, you know, understanding for, for many people what Africa is and how there's um, still underrepresentation of Africa in mainstream media, but then at the same time there's a growing um, market for um, what I'll call Afropolitan um, content, which is this fusion cosmopolitan African outlook. And how on the continent, you know, you find there is somewhat a following for Afropolitanism, but then it's also constructed as a very exclusionary and elite um, ideology. And I mean, it's it's fine that it exists, but it does not extend to the full experience, obviously, of, of a continent of so many countries and diversities. And um, this kind of, well, I don't have the breakfast in Lagos, lunch in London, dinner in New York experience, which is the experience for most people from Africa. I mean, like, most people don't have that um, hybrid, hybridized ideal of the world. Mm. So when we talk about meeting people where their understanding of Africa is, and if that is informed by this Afropolitan outlook, where does that then put the Africa of the territory of Africa um, into this conversation? Because it's all well and good that we are here and you know we have this privilege of space and travel and that sort of thing, but then there are people from the continent who are not represented by that. I mean, I can speak to that. I mean, um, and then uh, you can say yeah, yeah, but um, I mean, I understood your question two ways. I mean, you can say the museum can cater to um, an, Af an Afropolitan uh, uh, conception of Africa, but also, uh, but that's not really what I think museums in, in, in America really think of um, of, of Africa. Uh, uh, on the other hand, so 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 that question, which I think Kevin will answer. Um, uh, subsequently, it's, it's there. But what I want to say, in and, and I, I do share your your your, your worries around uh, the concept of, of Afropolitanism, and I've written around that uh, because I don't think it, it captures the, the complexity of the continent. It's, it, but there's a reason why uh, the concept emerged in, in the first instance because uh, it's a way of shifting the conversation of Africa as Africa and its pathology to an Africa that is aspirational. So I so I get that uh, logic. But having said that, there was an exhibition I did at uh, my institution last, um, actually it closed in March, um, uh, around my, my, my recent acquisitions, which was new, new conversations around African, African, African art. And the way it was uh, uh, staged was it dealt with 
uh, but uh, the diasporic aspiration of Afropolitanism, but also the complexities that one can find uh, on the continent. And like Karen rightly mentioned, um, in university museums, you might have the opportunity to do that sort of exhibition, in, uh, to go in depth uh, with an exhibition as opposed to doing that um, in, in public, uh, more public institutions. And I would want to know how Karen and and Kevin will respond to, to, to your question. I'm um, sure, you know, thank you. And I, I think it's a very interesting, very interesting and important sort mm. of question to unpack. Mm. Um, I, I mean, I think, I think the idea, as you say, of Afropolitanism is, is rooted in fundamentally this idea of trying to, to shift the conversation, the perspective mm. of Africa and the way that we represent Africa in the museum. And it's absolutely, in that sense, a project in which I'm engaged. Mm. Um, I think actually, I mean, the titles of both of my, my permanent collection installations, mm. African Innovations, in some ways are sort of rooted in that and mm. basically is trying to recast mm. the way that we look at quote unquote traditional African mm. art mm. as um, engagements with the world, engagements with a sort of, um, with universal sort of problems and thinking about the sort of intellectual content of that material rather than the sort of more distancing ethnographic gaze. Mm. Um, on the other hand, you know what, what I what I meant by that statement about meeting our visitors where they are mm. was in some ways also more literal. Mm. You know, a, a well over a quarter, I mean, well over a third of the residents of, of Brooklyn are of African or African American descent. Many actually first generation immigrants um, to to New York from mm. the continent, and they're bringing their own sort of expectations of what Africa looks like. And I'm trying to be as cognizant of that as I can be mm. in making sure that my collecting and display practices represent that diversity. So, you know, we we acquired, you saw perhaps quickly in passing this uh, mask from the 1970s mm. uh, from Malawi uh, representing Elvis Presley, mm. um, which has become a real sort of popular sort of work to many of our visitors. Mm. And I showed it in the contemporary gallery because I also wanted to make it clear that this is also contemporary art, that th this living tradition of masquerade is evolving and changing and responding to the world as well. Mm -hmm. um, and so while it's perfectly well and good to collect artists who, who can be sort of framed in that Afropolitan sort of vein, I also want us to be aware that the, our lens should be much broader, I think. Um. Karen? <laughs> uh, I do think it's an important question. and. For me, I mean, today the conversation is really focused on contemporary African art, but I think that part of what needs to shift in this conversation is rethinking historical African art, because as long as Africa's history gets conflated into, as you were saying, sort of um, a seamless idea of tradition, then it devalues the specifics of the history and devalues the specifics of the innovations of the individual artists. And so while, I mean, I think all artworks have been contemporary at the time that they were made. I mean, they were. And, and most of them are engaged with the most compelling local and international issues of that time. And I'll give an example of an object by a Teke artist from, um, Congo Brazzaville that would have dated to circa 1910 and is the kind of object that might be held up as an icon of the best of traditional African art. And he, this is an object where the figure is actually packed with the earth of Teke land. And that was made precisely at the time that the Belgians and French were in that territory fighting over who was going to take over and decimating the local population. So what happened was the local population responded by making figures that attached them back to this land that was getting stolen from them. That is not a timeless situation. That was specific. a specific situation. And we need to t bring those specifics back into our knowledge of the spectrum of African arts. And I think the more that we do to credit the history the more we do to affirm the incredible intellectualism of the contemporary art and its conversations with the broader global perspectives. I would just add that in terms of the show I curated, Material Effects, it was going back to this idea of history and kind of recognizing the legacy of production. It was really important for me in that show to present the words of um, Issa Sam, who's a seminal um, Senegalese um, artist, um, working, started working in the 60s and 70s mostly, 
And the reason being is that I wanted to have this idea of a kind of radical politics um, of making, of performing in West Africa that preceded the kind of new generation that people are very excited and interested in. And for me, it was really, it was important to kind of give a nod to Sam in that way. And I think of that a lot in my, in my work in terms of um, a lot of our kind of um, um, forefathers, as it were, for want of a better word, who have had very little kind of um, exposure or credit in kind of leading the way for a younger generation. And it becomes increasingly more important for me, at least as a curator, to kind of cite my work um, within a lineage of, of kind of others and to cite the work of contemporary artists within that lineage. And so it was important to have Issa in that show and likewise with the show that I did with Jonna Comfra. Um, that show was really about me paying homage to someone who I feel has kind of defined my identity and I couldn't exist without him. And I think in some ways, someone like um, Jaleli Ektiku couldn't exist without Issa Samb, who was very much um, critical or kind of thinking about questions of Africanness and how it related to um, um, the relationship with the continent um, and thinking about the relationship between a local and a global identity. And so Issa was the kind of inspiration or the starting point for that conversation. And I think the more and more we have curators who are really attuned to this kind of connection between the and when we say historical, I'm not thinking necessarily kind of um, kind of pre-1960s, like the modern or even beyond. Even in the contemporary, I think there are figures that are still being um, rediscovered and need to be reassessed, and their role in kind of producing contemporary or adding to the production of contemporary um, contemporary African art. Oh yeah, one more question, and <laughs> yeah. Uh, over over here. Thank you for squeezing me in smooth. Mm -hmm. Hi, mm -hmm. Kristen Winmeller Luna. I'm an art historian and curator. Mm -hmm. So as more and more institutions are coming to the table, or in some cases literally setting the table and inviting others there, mm -hmm. and more and more contemporary departments are becoming interested in contemporary art outside of the Euro-American mode, who do you foresee making the acquisitions in the future? Contemporary departments or African art departments? And how is that going to affect perceptions of these work, whether they're institutional or public or market? For all of you. Um, well, I, I just, I'll, I'll address that first because I have belonged to an institution where we at least have all those distinctions on paper. Um, but I think actually the important thing for my institution is that we really do treat those distinctions as more managerial and more um, more sort of administrative than they are necessarily in the way that we present our work going forward. Um, that's been a challenge that our leadership has been pushing the museum towards in the last decade. I and mean, it's still a challenge for us to sort of move out of traditional sort of modes of curatorial thinking, training, and practice. Um, but I mean, I, do, I have to say that as it, with most of the contemporary acquisitions that I've made, there, there has been some level of collaboration with the contemporary department. Um, and, and in some cases, there were, there were acquisitions that have been made, actually even made from this fair last year, that were led entirely by our contemporary department. Um, and other cases, you know, in, we, we've, we've decided, we made a decision at some point that we were not going to set a hard and fast rule as to who had jurisdiction over contemporary African art or, or where that material went, um, instead to have a more sort of case-by-case -case sort of discussion. Um, but there have been many, many works that we've acquired that are jointly acquired but between African art and contemporary art, or even African art and decorative arts, um, with the idea that those works can be shown in either gallery. And I think that will be particularly more important going forward as we begin to sort of rethink um, our galleries and what the sort of stories that we're telling with our collection. Um, when I was with the Baltimore Museum of Art, we had a similar experience where often the collection happened based on where the money was. So if there was money in the textiles department, the deck arts department, or the contemporary department, or prints, or what have you, that's how the piece was acquired. And it would go into their collection, but it was fair game for any of the different departments within the museum. As prices do go up, which is a good thing, you know, I have... Um, it hasn't yet succeeded, but I've now made two attempts to partner with two of the other museums, or actually three of the other museums within the Smithsonian also to do joint acquisitions. So I think that this is, you know, increasingly 
becoming a model in the art world. I mean, look at you know SF MoMA and the Met with the um, the refusal of time by William Kentridge. I mean, there I think museums are having to figure out creative new ways. So it's less about the departmental destination and more about a pooling of resources. I mean, I think you guys answered the question. I mean, in my own institution, I. I sort of straddle African art and global contemporary. So I, actually, the first work I collected when I arrived at Dartmouth was the work of a Norwegian uh, video artist, not even an African artist. Uh, and so I think those, those boundaries uh, in time will, will, will collapse. Um, but I, I do understand um, for institutional reasons why, why those um, administrative purposes, why they are still kept. Um, but long term, we'll see. Yeah. So uh, thank you so much. Thank you, Kevin and uh, Karen, for uh, coming out. Uh, thank you for honoring my invitation. And thank you all for coming. And thank you, Smooth. Thank you.